Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. All right, let's bring in Dr. Jason Kindrichuk, assistant professor and uh, also uh, Canadian research chair, medical microbiology and infectious diseases at the University of Manitoba. Dr. Jason, good afternoon. Great, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for doing this. I want to get to masks, but let me start with that news out of Ottawa. Um, you would agree, I'm sure, that until we have a vaccine, an effective vaccine and some effective treatments, um, you know, not that you're a, a politician or, or you're certainly not an accountant, but, but we need to get a vaccine or some real serious treatments uh, of COVID-19 before we can really see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I think the vaccine is, uh, or, or vaccine, you know, vaccine platforms that, that are being developed are, are key. But, you know, at the same time, um, we also have to, I think, get in the mindset that a vaccine is not going to be kind of the, the be-all and end-all of us getting out of this. Um, you know, by the time we look at manufacturing and actually getting it distributed, we're, we're still going to have to rely on uh, social distancing and, and hygiene as probably being our primary defense for a while. And I, I think... It is one of these things where, you know, we, we want to make sure that people understand, you know, as soon as a vaccine is licensed, that doesn't give us the, the green light to get completely back to normal. It's, it's going to take some time and, and we're getting there. We're moving forward. Um, it just science does not move as, as fast as everybody uh, would ever want it to. And Dr. Brent Rusin says all the time, and I think people are now sort of uh, it's dawning on people. Oh, yeah, we're going to have to live with this. Uh, virus it's not necessarily going to go anywhere anytime quick no and, and that's the sad reality of it right uh, i mean we're you know six seven months into this now uh you know as far as when the virus first emerged you know we're we don't know where we are yet are we at the halfway point probably not um but we we really don't know what to expect next and and that's kind of been the you know the difficulty with uh, you know a lot of questions that i've gotten is kind of you know what how long do we think we're going to be in this we don't know and that's we're we're in unprecedented territory right now with this virus and i think trying to adapt uh each day as, as we learn something new about it no new cases again today that's eight straight days now we've had no new cases of COVID 19 in the month of july and the number of active cases is now just six i kind of gave a round of applause to the city and the province at the start of the show that that is impressive we're, we're continuing to do what we need to do you know it, it's been fantastic and and i gotta be honest i have a you know a lot of friends and, and collaborators that i work with that are in the u.s um, and, and it's been difficult watching the, the situation that, that they've been going through, knowing that, you know, here in Manitoba, we've had you know, just over 300 cases, you know, but two and a half times less than what they've uh, had in Saskatchewan or, or just uh, just around that number. So I think we do kind of owe ourselves that, that pat on the back. This, this is not just because of, you know, the, the isolation of Winnipeg and in the middle of the country. Um, it has a lot to do with, with the way the public response went and how quickly the messaging got taken up. So, you know, kudos to everybody in, in Winnipeg and around the province for that. And we need to keep it up. We, we have no choice. That, that, that's the unfortunate reality is um, we can't get complacent. And, and it's, it's very easy, even, you know, for me, um, going out right now when it's beautiful out and, and uh, you know, kind of being able to go back out to the parks and stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's it's difficult not to get back in that mindset that oh, this is just like 2019. It, it's not. Um, you know, we, we are are still very much in the thick of things, and we really you know should be using what what we're seeing in the U.S. somewhat as a, a bit of a crystal ball for for where we could be if we uh, you know start to to basically take things uh, a little bit less seriously than we need to. 
The final couple of minutes here with you, uh, Dr. Jason, I want to focus in on the face mask. It's in the news a bit today because our premier was seen without his on in in uh, Toronto at the airport there where it's mandatory. And there are some other mask stories that I'm going to get to today. I'm going to talk more about it as we go along here. But how effective is the face mask in your opinion? Because obviously social distancing, best case, uh, you know, best situation, wash your hands a lot, we know that, but the the face mask has had some controversy. Yeah, you know, face masks, you know, from from the days of influenza have, you know, been a a little bit up in the air as to how effective they were for reducing uh, somebody from, or reducing the the ability for somebody to become infected. So we know that they work very well for stopping somebody from, from releasing virus. Uh, and, and transmitting, but if if you are you know not infected, d- does it really provide you with protection? Um, you know, it's difficult to answer because here in here in Manitoba, we don't have that really heavy population density that we see in a place like Toronto or New York or Montreal um, or Vancouver, where you have people that that have a real difficult time at, at maintaining social distancing. So, you know, here the the effectiveness I, I think is why you've seen a little bit of you know people kind of shrugging their shoulders as far as whether or not they will be mandated, whereas in place like Toronto, they are. So I think that there's definitely a reasoning for them. I think we're seeing a general push towards more regular use of, of face masks. And, and to be fair, in two weeks' time or two months' time, things could completely change, and we could see that mandated in Manitoba if cases increase. Um, but I, I don't think we're there yet. And I think you know we're, we're doing really well. Uh, we, we just have to keep watching the, the recommendations from, from public health and where case numbers are going in the province uh, to see if, if we start to see new cases. Otherwise, you know, we're, we're doing the right things right. We just have to kind of maintain this, the, the vigilance that, that we have. And a quick answer on this one, if I, if I could, Doc. Yeah. Um, but if you're on a, on a crowded Winnipeg transit bus, because we're talking about yeah. crowded buses, if you're on a, on a crowded Winnipeg transit bus and social distancing is difficult, mask a good idea? 100%. Okay, that was a very quick answer. (laughs) I'll make it (laughs) easy for you. (laughs) Yes, no, thank you. Yeah, because that's, I I think uh, the mask in certain situations does make, hey, listen, um, why not, right? Um, If you've got one, I I say say wear it. Hey, Dr. Jason, uh, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much for having me on, Hal. Joining us now, Stephen Portnoy at the White House, CBS White House correspondent. Stephen, good afternoon. Hey, it's good to be with you. Yeah, and listen, um, I hope it is all right that I say this, but congratulations. I think this is a new development for you. You, in about a year from now, will be taking over as president of the White House Correspondents Association. <laughs> Not a new development, but uh, I was elected last year to a three-year term, and I uh, take over as vice president of the association a week from today. And two, okay. uh, a, a week and a year from today, I will become president of the association. All right. I was reading up, uh, not looking for this info, but I came across it and I thought, well, geez, I'm going to be talking to him today. I have to make sure I wasn't aware that it wasn't a new development, but uh, congratulations. So uh, we got one of the big dogs uh, from Washington joining us here today Uh, at the White House today. Still to come the ceremony celebrating uh, the USMCA, the trade deal between the U.S., Canada and Mexico. Uh, obviously, the U.S. will be there, Mexico will be there, but we will not be there, or our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, won't be there. He says scheduling issues. Does anybody down there care that he's not going to be there? I'm just curious. Well, I look, uh, this is a celebration of uh, the, the 
North American uh, Free Trade Agreements replacement, USMCA. The president, I think, would have probably preferred for all three representatives uh, but to be here, but uh, understanding that, uh, look, it's, it's a difficult situation right now. This is the wow. first international trip for the president of Mexico, uh, Lopez Obrador, and he actually took it. It's interesting. He, he flew commercial and had a layover in Atlanta last night. Uh, wow. So, uh, it, yeah, uh, things are uh, different, of course. It's difficult in this time of, of coronavirus to have meetings like this, and so they're, they're going to be on a smaller scale. Uh, the president uh, is eager to tout the success and the impending success of the USMCA. Uh, and today it's a celebration, really, of the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico more than anything. Uh, the president tonight will be hosting a dinner that focuses on trade. Uh, key CEOs will be in attendance, including the leaders of FedEx and Lockheed Martin, among other companies. Well, and this is the sort of stuff, you know, if you were to talk to uh, somebody who watches politics a lot, well, I do, and I guess obviously you do too, the president needs to focus more on good news like this, right? Because, listen, he's he's had a tough time of late. We don't need to go into all the specific stories, but this is a chance for him to say, hey, look what I did, and this is a big deal uh, for the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. Well, it's one thing that he can say, uh, looking back on the last four years, it was a landmark achievement, right? The replacement of the NAFTA agreement, which over time became less and less popular. The heralding of a new era of, of uh, relationship between the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. And frankly, it, it's, uh, it's something he can point to when, when critics will say that he didn't fulfill his promise to get a, a significant trade agreement with China. And the relationship with China has been very much harmed, I'd say, by the coronavirus outbreak and the fact that going into this, in the early part of the year, the president achieved a phase one agreement with China, which essentially had the Chinese promising to ramp up their uh, uh, purchasing of agricultural products. Mm -hmm. uh, there are questions about whether the Chinese have fulfilled that commitment. And of course, now there is uh, very little appetite on either party's part to sit down and talk about some of the serious, substantial and structural issues that had led the president into his trade war with China, namely Chinese trade practices, the, the theft of intellectual property, forced technology transfers. Uh, you know, a lot of these issues have just simply not been addressed. And so mm -hmm. the president today can say, this is what we have done with our good friends and neighbors from Canada and Mexico to improve the situation for the American worker. The, the primary theme of the presidency, and you heard it on the very first day that Donald Trump took office, is the idea that he is uh, paying direct attention to what he calls the forgotten man and woman, uh, the people who in the middle of the country work in uh, manufacturing or agriculture and who were, have been, he argues, negatively impacted directly by trade agreements passed over the last few decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he needs to hang on to those voters. He needs to hang on to those people that uh, helped put him in power last time. Stephen, thanks a lot for this. I really appreciate it. You bet. Lee Squarek is Lee the Gaming Guy at Winnipeg's PNP Games, and he joins us on the phone now. Lee, hello, good afternoon. Hi, hello, how's it going? Excellent. Happy Video Games Day. I tried to get you yes. on yesterday, and uh, we had email issues, but I'm kind of glad because today is Video Games Day. The reason I was trying to get you on yesterday is because they're out with a list of the best female characters in video games. 
Um, Absolutely. Is, is it is it Siri? Is that how it's pronounced? Because you're talking to a video game idiot here. I I know nothing. Is that how you say the name? C I R I. Yeah, the uh, the particular character uh, or list that you sent me had Siri coming in at number one was voted. I, I guess mostly from fans. Uh, yeah. and she's from the Witcher series of games, which recently had a Netflix uh, series come out as well. Okay, right. I did watch a bit of that on, on Netflix. Yeah. And then next on the list, Laura Croft, which I know of 72% by Siri, for Siri, by the way, 66% of the votes went to Laura Croft. And then uh, Zelda and Peach also on the list. Anything else Definitely. on that list before we get to other video game stuff here? Yeah, definitely. So, like, a lot of that list was, was contemporary stuff. When, when I'm asked about the, uh, the best female characters of all time, I always think of the, the important ones. So you got your, like, your Samus Aran uh, from Net, uh, Metroid and stuff like that. That was a character that players didn't know they were playing a female character. And when it's finally revealed in the game, it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, that's important. Uh, Chun-Li from Street Fighter, the only female uh, cast member in that game. Also an undercover cop. Uh, just badass all around. Jill Valentine from Resident Evil. And I even have uh, Yuna from Final Fantasy X. Shout out to her who uh, stoically on a suicide mission in her game. Uh, these are all strong female characters written great, uh, important to the, uh, I think, to where we are now in the inclusiveness of gaming, which is, I guess, where we're going next. Yeah. Yeah, and so so let's talk about a bit about gaming. I mean, obviously, there are more people playing games now because of the situation we're in, the pandemic. No doubt about it, I'm sure, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, our last uh, four months, obviously, we did have to close our retail stores at a certain point there. Uh, but our web store and, uh, and online orders were as strong as ever. It was Christmas for months there. Uh, people really, really embraced games. It, seemingly, based on what they were buying, some for the first time, people buying consoles uh, and kind of getting into it, uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and and that makes sense. Now, we're starting to hear that they're running out of TV shows. I mean, Netflix has got a stockpile of stuff. What about in the gaming world? Are there any new games, or is that kind of on hold as well? So definitely. there. So when it all kind of went down, uh, because everything has a large lead time, obviously games aren't even made a year out anymore. We're talking three, four years. So in a lot of cases, uh, there were some big releases ready to come out when COVID hit. Uh, that either had a slight delay or went early or decided to delay themselves until later in the year, just because, you know, these are teams of hundreds of people uh, that are now no longer working face-to-face -face either. Uh, so you've worked three years on something, and here you are in the crunch time right before you're going to print this game, and there's a month where no one can be in the office. Uh, but, but, you know, we, uh, we trudged through. So Animal Crossing was one of the fastest-selling Switch games. It sold something like 13 million copies uh, in the first couple weeks there on the Switch. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two had a slight delay because of COVID, uh, but that just came out. And uh, I'll be honest with you, there was a few weeks there where, you know, things kind of moved out of the way, but it is mostly business as usual. They found a way uh, to, to still make this happen, and it's, uh, it's pretty incredible that they were able to meet the demand uh, throughout the last few months. Do you think that uh, going forward, as life gets back to something closer to normal, do you think the gaming community will be even bigger now because of the pandemic, because more people gave it a try, found the time for it, and will continue to be fans and users? I, I think definitely. Uh, I mean, once your foot's in the door on some of this stuff, especially the people who, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't played in a long time or now having time to spend at home, uh, people of an older generation seeing their kids having more time to see what they're playing and where video games have gone. Uh, and it's, it's, it's incredible even getting them, them involved with it. So stuff like Minecraft, uh, which is you know, a game we've been talking about for 10 years, is stronger than ever now. Uh, people playing co-op with their parents, getting in on it, 
Uh, I, I think, yes, this has only bolstered uh, video games, especially with the idea that it is a solo thing that you can also do with, with friends. You can do it over the internet. You don't have to go to a movie theater and sit there with a bunch of strangers kind of thing. Uh, I, I think this has, yeah, only bolstered video games as a very legitimate form of entertainment for everyone. Uh, and it's already leading. Like, video games blow movies and, and stuff like that out of the water year over year. It's just still, uh, you know, the young man's game, as it were, <laughs> the video game industry. Well, and you know what's amazing, uh, and I was uh, um, thinking about this, as you mentioned, this industry is massive, and it's amazing that it really has developed into that over really just a few decades, right? I mean, I was one of the first oh, yeah. to own the very first video game, Pong, which was mm -hmm. invented and involved uh, basically simple table tennis. But, man, have we come a, a long way in a very short time, and now it's worth so much money. It's, it's insane. Uh, I mean, if you really trace video games back, let's say the late 70s is where things kick off. Uh, there's a huge bubble with it. Uh, there's, an, uh, there's a video game crash that you can look up on Wikipedia if you're ever interested in. Uh, that happened in the early 80s. And then uh, Nintendo in like 1985 was one of the first to reemerge and say, nope, we're going to try this again. We're going to do it right. We're going to have a seal of quality. Anything that's going to be on our console is going to be run through us. This isn't necessarily something they do anymore. Nintendo, if anyone, definitely curates what's available on their, on their console. But now the new bubble is ind independent games, is that we're seeing games come out and sell millions of copies made by a team of three people, seven people, one guy doing music, story, graphics, everything. It's so accessible uh, to everyone, and there's, there's something for everybody now. It's, it's wild. You're talking to a guy in his, in his mid-50s, and, and I'm not a gamer, uh, although I know people much older than me that are. So it has nothing to do with age. But l let's say somebody out there listening right now is, is my age or, or a little younger, a little older, and they go, hey, I got some time. What would you suggest they give a try? Like, where, where would you start if you were a new gamer? Yeah, so that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, if they have any, <laughs> if they have ever rubbed up against video games before, uh, the 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 old guard is Nintendo. They're still around. They have a console. They're putting out Mario games, Zelda games. Uh, so I always point to them first. It's very accessible. It's easy. It's fun. Any ages can play it, and uh, you, you're pretty safe with anything with that Nintendo logo on it, popping it in and having a good time. Obviously, uh, you know the the sports games, the more realistic graphics. Those exist on the PlayStation and the Xbox and the PC. And at that point, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of games. But really, you just stick to the genres you like. So if you like zombie movies, mm -hmm. look at some zombie games. If you like strictly sports, if you like golf, uh, if you're sad about having to be locked inside for six months of the year, not being able to go hit the greens, video games are there for you. And you can play all these courses from all over the world. Uh, the narratives in games are, is just wild now. Like, we're talking things, things that go on for 20, 30 hours that rival... Uh, you know, an hour-long thing like a Game of Thrones or something like that, the, the writing quality. We're getting there uh, with these things. So I really just say stick to the genres you know that you've enjoyed elsewhere. If you enjoy reading a certain type of book, there's a video game for you uh, kind of thing at this point. But coming in off the street, I always say uh, Nintendo's the way to go. All ages, recognizable characters, you'll fit right in. Hey, Lee, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, our retail stores are reopened, 915 McLeod, 2609 Portage, and 160 uh, Meadowood here in Winnipeg. And we have a web store, pmpgamesonline.com, that's open 24-7. pmpgamesonline.com, right? You got it. Yep. Excellent. Happy to give you the plug. Lee, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
Lee Swarick, he's Lee, the gaming guy with Epic's PNP Games. Uh, Cam, you're you're a gamer, eh? Would you consider yourself a gamer? Cam oh, totally. Pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. 100%. Let me ask you uh, some trivia questions here. Now, listen, this is easy for me. I got the answers right here. I didn't okay. know them until a couple of hours ago, okay? Um, give this some thought. The first game played in space, like the first game based on space in some way or another. Uh, asteroids? Tetris. 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 Okay. Game I guess, Boy's Tetris, yeah. Okay, I guess that is space. Yeah. Um, uh, let me see. I got another one here. Um, well, these are just interesting uh, facts, so I'll just give these and, and you, you weigh in on them if you okay. want here. Okay. Uh, Apple co-founder uh, Steve Wozniak, his favorite game was Tetris, uh, in case you care. Robin Williams, such a big fan of video games that he named his daughter Zelda. Yes, I did know that. I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. And Guitar Hero. Were you ever into Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero, when I was in high school, was the biggest thing on the planet. Yep, it was huge. We used to bring it in um, on TVs inside of the classrooms, and we play it there. I I never became an expert. I was always hard, but, oh, man, Mm -hmm. oh, did I play that hours and hours and hours. But it just died off, like just like a snap of a finger at one point. But uh, when I was in high school, it was huge. I got tired of going to parties where it got pulled out all the time. It's like, are you kidding me? Another stupid, you know, guitar hero. But listen to this tidbit. We'll end on this one because this is truly. And uh, Lee was talking about how big this, you know, gaming has become, right? I mean, it blows movies and TV and all that other stuff away. It's been around a lot longer. Guitar Hero. Uh, guitar Hero Aerosmith. Do you remember that particular mm-hmm. version? Guitar Hero Aerosmith? Yep. Guitar Hero Aerosmith has made more money for the band Aerosmith than any of their previous albums. Wow. (laughs) Crazy, eh? Yo, that is nuts. That's crazy. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.